0: Welcome back to Excelsior Journeys. This is George Soroy. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you so much for tuning in for over 150 episodes. It has been an amazing run so far, and we are not stopping anytime soon. And one of the things that I really love is seeing a guest who has been on the show already and just absolutely killing it in uh, in their chosen field. And especially since I'm an author myself, not only seeing, seeing an author just increasing their success, but also sharing a lot of their secrets of their success, especially when it comes to my own Achilles heel, which is marketing. The one thing that I am personally not very good at something I will definitely say that is, is something that I always have issues with is marketing myself. I can do just fine talking about other people. You see that every week on this show as I have whatever guest I have here. but uh, but when it comes to talking about myself and different things that I've done, I have issues even just kind of jotting down a list of things I've already accomplished in my own journal that no one else gets to read or anything. It's just my own personal journal, just saying like, well, what have I done? And I can't even really kind of bring that to to the page. I tried that last night and it just wasn't working. So I'm thrilled to have a previous guest Coming back on the show to not only get some more information about the books that they have that are out right now, but also to get a little bit more detail into what they're doing with their social media success and how it has just absolutely blossomed into something really, really special. So it is my pleasure to bring back onto Excelsior Journeys author and marketer KM Robinson. KM, how are you?
1: I'm good. Thanks so much for having me today.
0: And thank you so much for coming back. It's just been an absolute joy seeing all of you on all of your platforms. You've always been someone who is just constantly not only creating an amazing amount of work, but then coming up with these very interesting and clever and creative means of getting the word about that new work out there. And it's something that I would say I'm envious of. But at the same time, I know that in a lot of cases, it's what you're doing. I don't want to say it's easy because to me, it's definitely not because it's that element that I just myself am still trying to to get for myself. But when, but the way you are able to get your word out there, it makes it seem So easy.
1: Well, it's been a lot of practice for me. I am an introvert, so I am somebody who does not do well in the public eye, and so I've had to learn how to do this along the way. So it started out much smaller, and because I implemented that daily practice and I was consistent with what I was doing, I was able to build it up and learn as I go, which made it easier for me to do. So now I can walk onto any stage without any prep time and give a full one-hour presentation, or I can step into social media and have conversations with without a second thought, but it's a long process that I have had to learn and train myself to accomplish. So it's not something you can jump into immediately and just feel comfortable with it, unless that's who you are as a person. It is something that you can learn and grow with and it becomes easier as you go.
0: Yeah, and the the fact that you are always open to sharing the secrets behind what you do with all Mm -hmm. these different things with the YouTube videos and with the, you also have a a marketing course as well that you sell, correct?
1: Mm -hmm. Yep. I've got courses and memberships and all sorts of fun things to take the time, commitment and effort out of creating content so that you can get back to what you love doing, running your business and living your best life while still making money on social media.
0: Yeah. So it's kind of like creating that, uh, creating the mailbox money element, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. And and I remember first hearing that that uh, that term from uh, Brian Quinn from Impractical Jokers. He was saying that originally MTV pitched wanted that show and he was just saying like, well, that's mailbox money. I'll take that because they wanted to just take the concept and then every week have different people on there and when when he when he said that uh, when Kevin Smith asked him you're like what's mailbox money he says, it's that's when you go to your that's when you oh you get home and there's money in your mailbox <laughs> like that's basically all you have to do so it's i I've, I've always loved that term and so hearing that in terms of as related to passive income it's basically the same thing um mm-hmm. it's it's definitely something that is attra- is easily attractive to a lot of people because just like you said you can focus on the things that you love while the money is flowing in. And that's really, I mean, that's the dream right there that we all want to accomplish.
1: Well, that's really how I created a lot of my businesses. I put a lot of time and work and effort into it. And then I automated a lot of things. So it's passive income in many, many different revenue streams for me. So I don't have to spend a ton of time and effort creating a bunch of new things or going out and finding new leads because I have created the work and now I can treat it in a passive income sort of way, which means I can go on vacation or I can hang out and write a book or I can go do things without having to have my hands inside of my business every minute of every day.
0: I love it. I love it. And as you're not obviously not just a marketer, but you're also a very, very well accomplished author. And a lot of, a lot of the work that you do, it's, it's retellings of, of legends, correct? Legends, fairy tales, very yeah. old stories and everything. You're able to put a really interesting twist on it. And the one that, the one that you have really been talking about a lot lately is one that I'm really interested in. It's called Syndrome, correct?
1: It is. Yep. This yeah, is my so, assassin Cinderella story.
0: Yeah, exactly. Assassin's Cinderella story. <laughs> that's that's what that, that's it's two great tastes you don't expect to taste great together, but sure enough, right. here we are. So <laughs> I got to ask cuz I mean, we've have, we've have spoken before about the lightning bolt moment. That moment where where you experience something and just decide that that's something that I want to do, that is the kind of life that I want to lead, that's the path I want to be on but when it comes to when it comes to your stories what is it how exactly do you come up with that interesting little element that completely throws people off balance cuz you not only have Cinderella as an assassin but you also mm-hmm. have you also have a Mr. and Mrs. Smith element there where the two love interests are hunting each other and you also have nanobots in there yeah. Kind of taking the place of the fairy godmother, correct?
1: Well, she does have a fairy god brother who invents her technology, which is the nanobots. So inside of this story, I wanted to make sure I had a Cinderella who was not quite as passive as the original. I wanted her to have a reason to go to the ball other than just finding a happily ever after. So she Mm -hmm. is sent by the master assassin to murder the prince and his father, the king of the princes engagement party. And because it is set in this futuristic dystopian setting, I wanted to really strongly implement technology. I'm a techie girl. I grew up with computers. I was using them before everybody else. And so I love to have technology inside of my story. So with that in mind, I knew I needed to send my Cinderella into the ball for a reason. She is there on a mission to murder. And Mm -hmm. I knew that I hated the original version of the prince, just not recognizing the girl he had run into at the ball. So I needed to give her a reason. I needed to change her face. And because I wasn't implementing magic into this story, because it's a futuristic science fiction story, I needed a plausible explanation for this, which is where the nanobots come in. These nanobots are teeny tiny pieces of technology that cover her face and actually change her appearance. So as she is now running away from the prince to escape after the failed assassination attempt, these nanobots go flying off of her face revealing not her face but that something was going on. So the next day when the prince sees her in her real face, he doesn't recognize her. Now the nanobots thankfully are still around, but now she has the opportunity to complete her mission without him knowing who she is.
0: Oh that's cool. That is very, <laughs> so cool. And so how exactly I am I'm just thrilled with with the way that you're able to come up with these stories. Now what was it Is it just like just wanting to do these sort of stories in like a, as like science fiction or something, or is there just like an extra, where, where does the, what if come in to all of this? What if this happened? What if Cinderella was an assassin? And I mean, the the sort of what ifs that you come up with are so far away from what people would think, but then all of a sudden it's just Mm -hmm. like, yeah, what if they, they would do that? And then all of a sudden they're interested and they start, and they start getting invested um where where does that come from where does that ability to to just think big like that come from
1: when i was a little girl in elementary school we read a book about the three little pigs and the big bad wolf and it Mm -hmm. reversed it so that the big bad wolf was not the villain but he was actually the victim and the three little pigs were just these awful little creatures were very i remember that
0: story that's a fun one yeah
1: I loved it. It was the first time I had ever seen anything flipped on its head like that. And we all Mm -hmm. grew up with the story of the big bad wolf and the three little pigs. We knew what we knew until we read that book and realized we didn't know it. So that was Mm -hmm. always a motive within what I liked to do with my storytelling. So when I grew up and decided, yes, I am going to become an author. I'm going to do this. One of the first stories I had written was a Goldilocks retelling where she was a spy sent to destroy the bear. She was there on a mission. And I always wanted to give my characters another motive to be in the location that they were in. So Cinderella is an assassin. She's going there for a reason. Goldilocks is a spy. she is being sent to the bear family for a reason. And so I'm always looking for a different way to put my main character in the situation to make them less passive inside of their story and more active in what they're doing. So when that falls into place, I know I am taking a story. I'm going to twist it on its head. I'm going to make you understand that you never actually knew that story or those characters and give them a more logical reason for being there. Because why would Goldilocks be hanging out in somebody's house and then run away when they show up? Why would Cinderella be off at a ball? Why would Little Red Riding Hood be part of a circus? And we kind of break down these things and switch how they're going to be looking. With that in mind, I'm then looking for different settings. I'm looking for different character traits. I'm looking to make them really the main character of their own story. And I love putting them mostly in dystopian futuristic settings, but I've also got fantasy settings. I've got steampunk settings. I've got cyberpunk settings, but I'm a big fan of reading that sci-fi. So I then look mm-hmm. to put them in a futuristic space. I look to put them in a technology space. I look to put them in something that could eventually happen 700, 1000 2000 years from now to see what could come of it and I won't do a retelling unless I have a major twist to it so by the time I got around to Cinderella I was adamant I was not going to touch this story unless I had a massive twist that I had never seen anybody else do before and when I finally got around to saying yes I'm going to do a Cinderella story I had to come up with a reason for her to be at the ball and the darkest dangerous thing I could think of was her being an assassin and now being chased by the prince himself
0: that's great that is so cool. Now, with everything that you've done, because you've done how many books so far? And where and oh, what right? number would is Sindrel in all of this?
1: I have done over two dozen books. Sindrel was somewhere in the middle. I don't know the exact number.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Now, with all of these in mind, because you have this really great niche with taking all these well-known stories and then retelling them in a way that makes them makes them new. Is that something that uh, that you feel has really kind of contributed to your success, the fact that you're able to take something familiar so that way they're kind of – it's a little bit more inviting to the reader and then all of a sudden give them something unexpected at the same time?
1: When people see something they recognize, they're more drawn to it because they know Mm – they understand, they can trust. So when I walk in and I say, oh, it's Goldilocks as a spy sent to destroy the bears, or oh, it's Cinderella as an assassin, they are strongly pulled toward that. Now, I don't just write retellings. I've got other things as well, but the ones that have people coming to me the most are the retellings because it's Mm -hmm. something that they understand with that dramatic twist. If you can give them something new and exciting, already connected to something they know that's Mm -hmm. going to draw them in. Now, once they see that, then they hang around for the writing and the story and for me and for the community and for the marketing and for the conversations. But initially for a lot of people, what draws them in is that big twist on Jack Frost or that big twist on the little mermaid. And then they're here for life.
0: Awesome. Awesome. I I know I am you know, like as someone who's <laughs> known you for for quite a few years and already had you on twice like on Excelsior journeys it's safe uh-huh. to say I'm sticking around <laughs> so it's someone you've always been someone that I am just fascinated with just seeing the the kind of the kind of success you have and the way that you're so easy to approach and just just a just a good person overall with with everything that you do and the fact that you're not you're not just you're not just hoarding all of these secrets for yourself i have to ask though like with uh, with all the different characters that you have with all these different retelling characters is there a shared universe in mind since that's kind of the ra- all, all the rage these days
1: I have never done a shared universe between my different series. I do Mm -hmm. have series that have different characters involved. So I actually created a retelling series of the holidays and it's Santa's daughter and Cupid's daughter and father time's daughter. And so they each have their own individualized stories. So that's a little bit of a shared world, but it's within the context of that series. The other Mm -hmm. series, have absolutely no crossover because I keep setting them in very different worlds. So some of them are more fantasy, magical realms. Some of them are dystopians, but the dystopians are vastly different between the different worlds that I create. So I've always thought it would be cool to do that, but I Mm -hmm. haven't gotten around to doing it just yet.
0: But it is something that you've been, you're, you're thinking about though.
1: I will share a secret with you. I have potentially put out some interesting feelers for a an adult thriller shared universe with several different authors so i am actively considering something there and it is something that i could potentially do within my own series as well in terms of my YA and na but it's not something that is on the front burner we'll say gotcha
0: gotcha very cool very cool so i'm glad to have gotten that as a little little extra scoop there just to just, just to see get a little glimpse of what's to come because you're always coming up with all all these different ideas now tell me a little bit about the first promotion that you were able to put together and the one that made you realize hey not only is this not only did do i feel comfortable with this But it's working. It's getting results. What was the first one that really kind of grabbed, really grabbed your attention with that?
1: Oh, man. So I've been a published author for five years now. And my journey has been very, very interesting because I started off several years before that. I had contracts offered to me that I turned down and I said I wouldn't publish until I found the right fit a year Mm -hmm. later. And so as I jumped into this, I created several books and launched them very early on. And what I learned was that the more you have out there, the better you're going to do. So at that Mm -hmm. point I started heavily marketing my Goldilocks retelling and my dystopian. Mm -hmm. They came out just a couple of weeks apart. And as I was marketing them, I was able to get on Instagram. I did a bunch of live streams. I had the ability to interact with people in real time, which really got a lot of people's attention. So being very public, being on YouTube and creating those videos and then creating Instagram lives and YouTube lives were really what drew my audience to me because I was so vocal as an author and as a presence inside of the book community. Now, as that started to grow, I then had access to really cool things like getting a BookBub feature. And from there, I got a lot of attention. Now, eventually that grew into more and more social media. And the thing that I would credit as blowing me up very quickly was when I eventually got onto TikTok about two years ago. And Mm -hmm. with that, I did pretty well. I was able to talk about my books. I was able to create interesting videos, but I really found my stride with parody content. Which you wouldn't think I'm a very funny person, but when I can script things, I can be very funny. And so I created these parody content pieces all about an author talking to a reader and a reader talking to a reader, and they were just funny, sassy little things about the book world and about specific books, and those skyrocketed me to 27,000 followers over on TikTok. So in a current setting, I would say video content and relatable conversational video content is definitely going to be what works best. But even back at the beginning of my career, it went back to that video content, the live streams, the talk shows that we did, being there and present and interacting with people in real time made all the difference.
0: That's great. And so so that's that leads into... Something that I was going to ask, but at the same time, it's mainly just now kind of confirmation you would suggest for anyone who is wanting to get their foot in the door, wanting to get themselves out there and kind of get a name for themselves. Sounds like TikTok is the ideal platform to at least start with, correct? TikTok is
1: made for engagement and community building and conversation. If you want to get seen and get seen fast, get yourself on TikTok and create as much content as humanly possible. If you can do three a week, great. If you can do one a day, great. If you can do 10 a day, fantastic. The more you get out there, the more you're going to get seen. And this is really, really helpful because their algorithm kicks out older content. So even though you're creating new content, it's still going to take your valuable old content and kick it out a year two years, three years later, if it's still performing well with your audience. I have things that have been posted for over two years that I still get daily hits on inside of my TikTok and draw people to my platform, to follow me, and then to my other social platforms. But I also feel that YouTube is incredibly important because it's owned by Google. When people Mm -hmm. search for things, if you are doing SEO-friendly keywords and SEO-friendly titles, you are going to get seen. So I strongly suggest that you are both on TikTok and on YouTube creating valuable content because both of those platforms are going to significantly raise your awareness and bring in your community.
0: Now, for now, speaking of which, like, is obviously you have to cater your material to to feed to work on that specific platform. A lot of people right now are doing are doing video that's that's shot vertically, so yes. that way it can get on the TikTok, it can get on Instagram, it can get on to now Facebook Stories is going on, and I think Twitter is is doing its own its own variation as well. And then you also have LinkedIn, so. When you're creating content for YouTube, is it best to just keep the phone vertical? Should you make it horizontal in order to cater to the YouTube screen? What are your thoughts on that?
1: Okay, so with this, this is a conversation I love having because we are seeing that dramatic shift toward vertical based content and YouTube mm-hmm. has implemented YouTube shorts. So you can be taking similar or the same content that you are putting on TikTok and and other vertical based platforms and put them on YouTube under 60 seconds long. It's incredibly valuable, but it does not count toward your monetization to rank for monetization. Once you are mm-hmm. monetized, then you can get it if people are watching it from the desktop version or from your page, rather than through scrolling through shorts. Now, with that in mind, we are seeing that shift toward that vertical content. So you Mm -hmm. have to be smart about this. Right now, there's still a horizontal-based platform for longer-form content. Does Mm -hmm. that mean you should only be using horizontal or should you be doing vertical? If you watch my platform, you're going to see I'm doing a mix of both because we're seeing more and more people access everything on the internet but also specifically YouTube from their phones. And so when you find a vertical video on YouTube, it plays in the vertical format. It truncates it just a tiny bit, but it's still Mm -hmm. playing in that vertical format. Now, if it's a horizontal thing, you can see it in a small form, If you hold your phone upright, but if you turn it sideways, it will adjust to that horizontal format. So Mm -hmm. if you watch my platform, I am doing both because I am strongly predicting we're going to see more of a shift toward that vertical-based content. Will that happen Mm -hmm. this year? Probably not. Is it going to happen in the next couple of years? Yes, it is. So I'm preparing my content for the future. I am not saying you should exclusively do vertical-based content on YouTube because that's not the vibe yet, Mm -hmm. but it will be. And so if you can be doing some of your higher end content horizontally, I feel Mm -hmm. like that's what you should be doing right now. But some of your more relational content, more vlog based things, more day in the life things, I'm going vertical on a lot of that. Or if I have shot something vertical, I'll put it on YouTube. If I am shooting myself as I am having conversations with people while I'm on a live stream, I'll put that live stream in vertical format on YouTube. So I think a good, healthy mix of both is really important. But if you have something that's going to be high end or bring in a lot of views for you and you have Mm -hmm. the ability to choose one or the other right now, I would stay with horizontal just because that's our view of the world. When we look through our eyes, we're seeing this horizontal view we're not seeing in vertical. Mm -hmm. So right now, that's still going to be more relational for people. But in the future, we're going to start to see that shift more and more. So work your way toward it have both, but anything that's Mm -hmm. super valuable that you want Googled a lot, I would go horizontal for now.
0: Gotcha. And that is something that I've, I will definitely take to heart because just looking at, at the different content that I have for this show, I do have some videos that are available to me, but at the same time, it's, A lot of the stuff that's, that's up there, it's just the audio of the show with a static photo. And I feel like I'm not doing myself many, any, any real favors to really kind of take advantage of YouTube as a platform. As someone who has a show and is also an author, what do you, what do you recommend like as the, as the best ways for me to kind of grab people's attention i mean just should i just blow the dust off of my tiktok and and just start creating like a lot of a lot of different content maybe like once a day do you feel like that's the that's the the best tactic should i get my youtube up and running because i have several videos on there but i know there's so much more that can be done with the platforms that i have at my disposal
1: So TikTok is going to be really, really good for awareness. It's going to be really Mm -hmm. good for getting people to pay attention. And I would definitely be creating as much content on there as possible. I teach that you should not be spending more than five minutes, start to finish on any one piece of content for 90% of the content you're making. So TikTok Mm -hmm. does not have to be a big and involved process. You can do content very quickly and create daily or multiple time, daily content without a ton of extra time, effort, or stress. But youtube is where you can monetize youtube is really good because it's search friendly it is going to be Mm -hmm. something that shows up in google searches so you should be doing both you should be aiming for consistency on TikTok if that's once a day for you fantastic but then you should also be aiming for at least once a week posting a video on youtube youtube is a video-based platform so a static image is not going to help you but if you are going to be filming your interviews Put those up on YouTube. Once you have 4,000 watch hours and 1,000 subscribers, you can monetize. You get ads revenue for this. So Mm -hmm. even if you are or are not making money off of a podcast, you can make it off of YouTube. So with that in mind, you want to pick some topic that is going to be search friendly on Google and YouTube. And mm-hmm. you're going to want to check that with something like TubeBuddy to see how it's going to work inside of the platform or if you need to tweak things. And then you need to get these videos up on YouTube. And the more you can put on YouTube, the more money you're going to make. But you also don't want to burn out your audience. So you have to study your analytics, see what's going to work best for you. My audience mm-hmm. loves content. So I can post a at minimum once a day on YouTube and do yeah. really well pull in a lot of money and because I'm putting out more content then I'm getting more eyes on it and I'm getting searched more. So the more you can do, the better it's going to work for you. But at minimum, I would say if you want to grow, get yourself consistently several times a week on TikTok and at least once a week on YouTube.
0: That's great. All right. All right, so several times on TikTok, once a week on YouTube. That sound that sounds great. It's and again, this is you always making it seem so damn easy. <laughs> Uh, Well, you
1: know, you can use what you're doing in everyday mm -hmm. life to create this content. So you and I are doing an interview right now. You could take this video and pop it up on YouTube. It's no extra work for you other than a minute or two of figuring out the correct title and putting Mm -hmm. in your caption. It's no extra work, but you get the extra credit for it. You could take something like this and pop this on TikTok you could actually set up your phone beyond your camera so that mm-hmm. you are filming yourself speaking to me and use a tiny clip of that on TikTok to then drive traffic to your YouTube and get money from both platforms. So you can take what you're doing in real life, in real time without yeah. any extra effort and put it on both platforms in different formats that will work really effectively for you.
0: Oh God. It's like, whenever I talk to you, I always feel like I'm just leaving money on the table. <laughs>
1: But you don't have to now because now you have the direction and the motivation. So now that what to do, you yeah. can immediately do this and mm-hmm. start implementing it today.
0: Now, the way the way that you're able you've been able to create these these YouTube videos. Now, I know that you always say it's it's basically just like a matter of using the tools that they give you. So If you are filming, if you you start recording on TikTok, you're not recording on your camera app. You're just recording directly into the TikTok app, correct?
1: You can, if you want, for me, I like to be a little bit more controlled with what I do. So if I'm Mm -hmm. filming for TikTok, I'm filming inside of my camera roll on my phone first. That way I can edit my coloring. I can clip things if I need to, and I'm importing it into TikTok, but you can record directly into TikTok. Now, Mm -hmm. if you are recording directly into TikTok, a pro tip I have for you is to post it fairly quickly. I don't like things sitting in drafts too long, just Mm -hmm. in case there's some kind of glitch. So if you don't have that backup footage already on your phone, if you record it directly in TikTok, get it posted as quickly as possible so you don't risk potentially losing it. But whatever Mm -hmm. is easiest for you is what you should be doing. You can film it in your camera. You can edit it in an extra app and you can import it or you can record directly in it.
0: And I've also noticed that whenever I try recording on the just directly on the TikTok app, I have to be very careful when it comes to any sort of logos that I have because it always winds up being reversed. But I know that there's a trick to switching that setting, correct, in TikTok?
1: Yes. Inside of TikTok, you have a lot of different features and filters. There is a Mm -hmm. filter that will reverse your content for you. So it does film in that weird mirrored version. You can just go in and use that filter to reverse it and it will record Mm -hmm. the correct
0: And they hide that like a son of a bitch. Like it is so the way that they have it set up the way that they just kind of show all the filters. It's just basically just saying, hey, see, look, look what it does instead of just saying what it does. Because I feel like once they do that, that is just going to make things so much easier to use. You would think that they would want things to be easy to use. And so something like that, I feel would be incredibly valuable. Just have that right at the top, right? Where the right where the filters are, just say like, do do you want to make make some lights come out of your head or do you want people to actually read what you have on your shirt? So that's something that I feel (laughs) that they really need to kind of get a handle on. Prioritize TikTok. Prioritize. Come on.
1: I would love to see a search feature, but I will give you a little tip on this. Mm -hmm. Once you see a filter that you like, you have mm-hmm. the ability to click the little save button. So when you go back into your filters, you no mm-hmm. longer have to search for things. You just have to click over to the save features. Go to the favorites, right? Yeah.
0: Awesome. Okay. I'm, I'm definitely taking that to heart. Now, one of the things that that I have that I feel has been definitely very valuable in my TikTok videos has been the mystery deck that I got from from decks. And this is Travis Brown, who has come up with these great, little mystery boxes. I was able to partake in that. And I got as a gift, two different two different decks of pod decks, which look like regular playing cards. But when you open one box, I have one box that says episode ideas. And then I have another box that says interview deck. And so what I do is what I've started doing that seems to have gotten like a decent amount of, of, of attention was basically just asking my listeners to throw out a number from one to 50. And then I will take, I will reply to whoever said, say, number two. And I'll hit reply, I'll create a video, and then I'll say, okay, number two. And then I'll go to the second card on the deck, I'll read the, the question that's asked, and then I'll answer it. So it's something I... i Thing, I, I feel like that has potential to be, a, to be a, an ongoing series, if you will.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Anything that can engage your audience is going to be very valuable for you to do. And if you can create a series within this, mm-hmm. yeah. that's going to keep people coming back because it's something they recognize and they understand and then they want to participate in. So the more you can kind of train them on how to interact with you, the better they're going to do in interacting with you.
0: Now, do you recommend the the option to go for a three-minute video or do you want do you think it's best to just stick it with 60 seconds?
1: TikTok allows you to post up to 10 minutes of video at this point. And right now they're actively pushing longer videos because they're trying to compete with YouTube. Mm-hmm. However, we have to keep in mind, we are now in a very fast paced society. Our average attention span is seven seconds. If someone sees your video and stops to look at your video, they will watch it for seven seconds. At that seven second mark, they're gonna decide, is this valuable enough for me or am I slightly bored and I wanna move on to something easier because it's so easy to consume content on TikTok because all Mm -hmm. you have to do is scroll and find something new and interesting. So you get seven seconds to really hook them in. And if you can do it, Excellent. And if you can't, that's okay. you got a little bit of view time and they're going to move on. The shorter you can keep your message, the better. So if you have something that's long, that's fine, but you better pack it with value because you're going to lose them if you are not speaking quickly and succinctly and making valuable points and helping them to move forward in their life or their business with action steps. If you are on the shorter side you're going to have a higher watch time. So the shorter you can make it, the better. If you can say something in 30 seconds and you take 40 seconds, that's not good. But if you could say something in 30 seconds and you get it down to 15 seconds, now you are in complete control of this conversation. The shorter you can say it, the better. So I recommend keeping it as tightly connected as possible and getting out of the way so that they keep coming back for more. But if you have something longer to say, do not mess up by creating an opportunity for them to leave. Those quiet times, the breaths of air, you want to make sure that you're cropping this in very, very closely so that they don't have a chance to scroll away and risk missing some of that really valuable information.
0: So, the best course of action for me as someone who wants to utilize the, these interview deck questions don't don't start off and say, "Okay, here's the question," and just just go right into the question go right into the Indeed. question and then but then at the same time, don't read the question for the first time on camera read it first nope, so that way I have my answer it. already set to go, right
1: yep. We do not want to waste time. If there's fluff, Mm -hmm. if there's dead air, if there's anything that could say, I am bored in this, they're Mm going to leave. So you need to immediately have that card in your hand and read that question quickly and jump right into your answer. They will be able to see with the comment response, what's going Mm -hmm. on. And at the end, if you need to say, hey, give me a number if you want me to answer your question, you can do that as your call to action, but they will figure it out. Our people who are paying attention to us are smart. They get it. They can figure it out and they don't need things to be explained to them. So if Mm -hmm. you can jump right into doing exactly what you're trying to do, that's going to get their attention and keep them there longer.
0: Oh, that's great. And guys, this, just what, what she is saying, what Cam is saying is, is so, it's so simple. And all it needs is just for you to take what you have and just tweak it and just, shave off what needs to be shaved off and then get it out there in a presentable format. That is something that I always do with this show. I make a point to get rid of any sort of ums and us. And you knows apparently is the, is my own (laughs) crux of my own uh, definite Achilles heel. When it comes, when it comes to, when it comes to doing this, that's the beauty of not doing this sort of stuff live. You have the, the opportunity to trim things. Now you've done a lot of you've done a lot of live stuff at the same time. you've also done a lot of pre-recorded stuff. So I have to ask, when you are doing your live, when you're doing your your live content, do you feel a change in there? Do you feel like like the pre-recorded stuff might be a little too polished, or do you feel like you're able to still convey who you are? for everything.
1: I started off with my pre-recorded content, doing it direct to camera with no cuts. I would Mm -hmm. not allow myself to do cuts because I didn't have a lot of different areas to move my camera around to. And I didn't like when people edited things out because it seemed disingenuous to me. So Mm -hmm. I would leave when I stumbled over a word or I would leave when I wasn't quite sure where I was going and I had to get back around to it. And so Mm -hmm. I grew in my business by doing that. So I became very good at becoming succinct with my videos. That translates over to my live streams as well. Now, as I've grown with my pre-recorded content, I've gotten better at doing it. I have the ability to film in segments and move my camera around and do different things, which makes it a little bit faster paced, a little bit clearer, a little bit more polished. And that's fantastic. But within the context of those small segments that I'm recording, if I stumble over a word, I leave it because Mm -hmm. I'm a human and people connect with that. If I do have things where I get a little bit on the sidetrack side, as long as it's not terrible, I leave it because it's mm-hmm. part of the communication with people. Yeah. So I really want to make sure that I'm staying consistent within that. And people still really like polished things. What they don't like is fake things. So as mm-hmm. long as you are still having those conversations, the higher you can elevate your quality of the production. That's Mm -hmm. going to resonate better with people. So it doesn't take anything away from it by doing these pre-recorded, polished things. It just means you're putting a little more time and effort into it on their behalf to make it a better experience for them. And people appreciate that. But they also like the real in the moment things. Now, if you Mm -hmm. struggle with things like this, where you're not able to have those conversations in a eloquent way, you may want to go with the pre-recorded content until you get better at it because if you're stumbling or you're struggling with what you're doing, that's a little bit painful to listen to. And so people will not stick around for that. So elevate yourself, get the Mm -hmm. experience you need, get better at it, then you can expand what you're doing. But I definitely like doing both because it relates to different people on different levels at different times.
0: That's great. Now, is there a specific platform that you feel is not there yet but is on its way to getting there
1: they're all doing so well in what they're doing and they've all had these really great jumps ahead of the industry and they've all fallen behind in the industry Mm -hmm. right now we're seeing instagram attempt to keep up and they're struggling Mm -hmm. and they're trying to figure it out but they're doing well with what they've got right now we're seeing this resurgence of linkedin linkedin is doing better than it was and they're getting more awareness because of TikTok and people teaching on TikTok, people bringing TikTok over to LinkedIn. I, for the longest time, wasn't involved with LinkedIn because it was a career thing. It was about getting jobs and I run my own businesses, and I didn't need that. But now it's for networking. It's for finding other people to engage with. It is for getting speaking gigs and for getting people on your shows to interview them. So LinkedIn Mm -hmm. is doing really well with changing the trajectory of how they're doing. We're seeing Twitter start to come back into their own. There was a long time when Twitter, we all predicted it was going away, but now they're coming back and they're doing better. So Mm -hmm. we're seeing a lot of people change and keep up with things and elevate what they're doing and pivot, which is the real conversation we need to have here. If they can pivot, they can survive. If they Mm -hmm. cannot pivot, then they're not going to survive. So I would say right now, I'm not seeing anybody falling behind and I'm not seeing anybody jump ahead, but we are seeing people shift to work with the way that the community is functioning right now.
0: It sounds kind of like what what a lot of people need to do themselves. They also need to pivot and they need to just kind of realize that, hey, this thing that I've been doing hasn't been working as well. It hasn't gotten the sort of, the sort of, audience that i feel this deserves so maybe i should pivot a little bit and that's a lot of that's a lot of that's something that a lot of people need to take to heart i know it's something that i do and i am i'm looking forward to seeing where where i can take my own social media reachability you can say now what what books do you have on the horizon what is next for you
1: Right now, I am working on a number of different novels. I've got young adult and new adult retellings and dystopians in the works. I've got a fantasy one in the works, but I'm really excited because I am working on some new adult thrillers. And I've been doing a lot of in-person hands-on research for these things. And I could not be more excited with where we are going with this. So I've got several that I'm actively working on right this very second. Mm -hmm. I am wrapping up one of my Peter Pan Neverland retellings right now, but the rest are a little bit on the secret side. I cannot wait for these new trajectories inside of my writing life.
0: Awesome. And have you thought of doing a nonfiction book that really kind of captures a lot of the stuff that you've been doing, kind of takes your journey and follows it through so that way people can take that as kind of like a a map for their own success?
1: I do have some business books out and I've got some other business books in the works. We're doing one on creating confidence inside of your business. We are doing some other ones I can't talk about just yet, but they are very, very interesting and will help you if you are trying to elevate what you're doing on social media, in your online marketing, and in making sure that you are comfortable with what you're doing and how you're doing it in a way that's still effective and is going to make you more profit.
0: And what would you say is the... The first step that you would give someone, just saying that that, that uh, if you just do want this one thing, your own little seed that you want to plant in their heads, if you do this and you stick with it, then so much can happen. What would you say is that one thing that you can say?
1: The more you put out into the world, the easier it becomes to create content and put it out in the world. Because a lot of the time it comes down to us being self-conscious and worried about how other people are going to perceive us. But let's just say we're creating content and one tenth of your content is not great. And the other 90% is fine. If you put out 10 videos or 10 pieces of content, that's one bad and nine good. And that's going to be more noticeable by people. But if you do 100 videos and 10 are bad and 90 are good, all of a sudden, that's a really big pool of good things that are going to drown out the not so good things. So the more that you create and just put out in the world, the easier it's going to be to find what works and what sticks and what communicates to your audience, but also takes a lot of that pressure off of what you're doing because you no longer have to fight to be perfect every single time because there's so much good stuff to compare it to that even Mm -hmm. a weird, random, not so great thing is not going to stick in people's minds because they have so much else to compare it to.
0: Wow. I always love 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 talking with you. I always feel smarter after I after I finish. <laughs> it's it's kind of like going to my own personal Comic-Con because whenever I go <laughs> to like either a conference or a convention, I always feel that creative energy just like this flowing like I got to do something I got to do something. I got to do something just trying to get that creative energy out and I always feel that whenever I talk to you. So <laughs> I hope that that all of you who are in the same boat that I am, someone who has work out there, who's very proud of the work that they produce, that they want to get more ears, more eyes on it. But at the same time, they just can't quite bring themselves to create more material that can that can get that sort of attention. What KM has done is she has, I will say it again, she has made it look easy, but at the same time, she has also put so much work into making it look easy. And that's something that I hope that all of you go ahead and subscribe to KM Robinson at all of her platforms. It's very easy to say that she is everywhere. She makes a point to get out as much as possible. And so I hope you do the same. And really what she has been doing is she's been taking things like her retellings and giving them a twist. So that is what she has been doing with her social media. She has been able to take what's there, give it her own personal twist, and that has created a whole lot of attention. So I wish KM Robinson, my friend, the very, very best. And I wish her nothing but continued success. And I wish success for all of you as well. So for Cam Robinson, this is George Soroy saying to all of you, ever upward. And I will see you next week. While there, you can also fill out the application to be a guest, inquire about sponsorship opportunities, and click on the Buy Me a Coffee link if you wish to give your support to the show. All interaction is very much appreciated. If you have a question, comment, or suggestion for the show, please direct it to george at he'sgotit.com.